Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Eric Chamberlain. And before we get to Eric, here's a few announcements. Our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com, and there you'll find stories that I've written, stories that some of the guests have written. There's photos of our guests. There's photos of me. There's links to their social media. There's links to our social media. And by that, of course, I mean Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on X. We have a Facebook page. We have a YouTube channel. Follow us on all those formats, subscribe, do what you got to do, build up those numbers. That's a cool thing for you to do. And while we're talking of cool things for you to do, why don't you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We're not on Stitcher anymore. Stitcher is, is no mas, so that's no more. But there are many other places to listen to us. And wherever you stream, please give us a good rating a thumbs up, maybe say a few nice things. That helps more people find the show by boosting our rating and boosting our presence there. And that's a cool thing for you to do. If you think you'd be right for the show, or maybe you know somebody who'd be right for the show, or maybe you want to write me, ask some travel questions, or just tell me how awesome I am, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Hey, Eric Chamberlain. I've met him a couple times over the years through his brother, Chris Chamberlain who is the husband of former guest Nicole Chamberlain. But Chris and his brother Eric are originally from Maine. And like Chris, Eric was a big fan of skiing and ended up moving to Colorado for a while, as so many skiers do. And Eric is a teacher by trade and ended up going to France to do some teaching. Loved it there, came back to the U.S. for a little while, went back to France, got married. And he and his wife live in western France near Toulouse, near the mountains where he can still do some skiing and bike riding and all the other outdoor activities he loves. And this year, Eric is hitting a milestone in age. I don't know how big of a milestone, but it, uh, it can be a milestone. I hit it last year. I'm admitting my age, so he's turning 55. And it's right around this age where a lot of people start to ponder retirement and the idea of retirement. I know I think about it a lot, especially being in Hollywood and being in my 50s in Hollywood. Not a great thing to be. I might be retired and not even know it. <laughs> the business might have retired me already and didn't tell me. That's neither here nor there. But we're at the age where we start looking into the future and what's our post-work life going to look like? Or what is just getting older looking like? So Eric started writing and started a Substack newsletter that's called Thrive at 55. And 55 is spelled out, not the numbers. So if you look it up, on Instagram, he's Thrive at 55, with 55 all spelled out. On X, he's at 55 underscore Thrive. But we'll have links to all his social media and his writing and his blog at Travel Tales Podcast. But what he's finding is through writing and covering this subject that he's building a little bit of a community. A lot of people have their entire identities wrapped up in their jobs. And once they leave, they don't do well. They just they lose so much, not only uh, purpose, but... They lose a lot of their social interactions when they leave the office. It's, it's a weird thing. So people handle it in different ways, some much better than others. 
Others want to work until they die. Hey, whatever floats your boat. Other people don't have the means to retire and have no choice. But we talk about all that and we talk about France and being an expat and how he's liking his life there and a lot of other stuff. So I hadn't seen him in years and it was good to catch up. And I hope you enjoy our chat like I did. Here's my talk with Eric Chamberlain. So I first met you when I went out to visit my brother when he was living in Venice, California. Right. And a uh, nice little bungalow that they had at the time. And I, I don't I think I was there by myself that time. Anyways, that was when we first met. Um, and then we went on a second visit. I think we went, had a beer before a Dodgers game, I think. That's, that's okay, what I remember yeah. anyways. And then you've, of course, everybody that comes in any contact with our family, you got to know Shirley, and you went to visit Shirley in Maine. Um, that was great. And uh, I think you've traveled and followed my brother and through some of his voyages, Hong Kong, at least, Minnesota. Didn't You didn't go to Minnesota. I didn't go to Minnesota. I was the no. first one to visit Hong Kong, and that's, that's right. when I realized it's better to be the last one to visit than the first one, <laughs> because they were still learning the city when I got there. Ah, yes. And like a couple of years later, my friend Judy went and they had the city dialed in. You know, they knew where gotcha. to go. They knew how to get around. And yeah, so I'm learning, though. But I did see I have seen them in Brooklyn now, and oh, uh, right. which is great. What a beautiful place to have there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pictures I have not been, but the pictures certainly do do uh, look like a pretty sweet sunset spot. <laughs> Uh, so how, many, how long have you been living there, this iteration? Well, you just said, but uh, what was the first time you went there, and yeah, why did so, you move? Yep, so um, I was uh, working at a ski academy in northern Maine, and our school and a school from this region became like, not sister schools, but created an exchange. Um, and they first came to uh, Maine in 2013 for 10 days, and then... When our school was going to come here, they needed a male chaperone and asked me if I wanted to go. And I had never been to France before, so I signed up immediately. And um, it turned out to be one of those classic, um, met the right person at the right time that happened to be here. And <laughs> um, finished up my work in, uh, in Maine in 2015 and moved here. Well, aside from the um, you know, meeting your wife and everything else, but... Tell me about the culture shock and tell me about uh, uh, the transition you made and you had never lived. Had you even lived outside of Maine before this? Yeah. Yeah. I lived in Colorado for seven years. Um, went to school in New Hampshire. Oh, okay. Lived in Massachusetts a little bit, but no, I'd never been to Europe. So uh, the school trip was a uh, 36 hour blitz through Paris. <laughs> and then, then we, came, we arrived down here. And by the time we got to um, our stay where they put up the adults it was dark so and i had i didn't really put a lot of time and effort into you know researching what the place was going to look like so woke up kind of groggy the next morning grabbed some coffee and walked outside and was presented with just this beautiful panoramic view of the pyrenees um and uh, been hooked ever since how did it differ from your expectations or was it about what you thought it would be or you know was there something that really surprised you it was like i didn't know i would like this this much or dislike something yeah that much yeah their their pace of life here is is tremendously different 
than it's it's more in line with what I was kind of used to up in northern Maine for sure. But you know, life in Portland or life anywhere outside of you know remote <laughs> northern Maine, <laughs> things things here at least in the southwest of France are um, very rural, very quiet, very just just you know I. I use the word simple, but it's not not from a negative standpoint. It's it's more that they they don't have a lot of extra stuff. Their houses are smaller. They don't have um, they don't have a million things going on in their life. Most of the stores close at seven p.m. eight if you're lucky, you know. So if you don't if you don't have your ducks in a row and uh, have food in the fridge and those kinds of things, so you just learn to be prepared. And um, it's just a it's just a really pleasant. Um, way to go about things I found what did you miss if anything is there still some things you miss like I don't know a, a dryer <laughs> yeah well in this in this house this in this house we did end up uh, buying a dryer initially I missed uh, uh, college sports to be honest um, oh wow are you a football fan yeah yeah just college sports in general I just love the underdogs and the, and the excitement and uh-huh. the, you know the pageantry of it all but when I first came I didn't really I didn't really understand rugby, um, so therefore, when it was on, I didn't, I didn't really know what was going on. But now I've become much more of an aficionado, and it turns out that right now we are uh, the rugby World the, Cup. Yeah, the World Cup is there by yeah. France. Huge deal, much bigger than the Olympics next year. The Olympics is more of a more of a Paris pain, thing, pain in the pain in the butt for French people than than <laughs> yeah. anything. Um, but the rugby. Rugby is is king down here, and so I, now that I've gotten into that and understand that, and I've gotten into European soccer leagues and those kinds of things, so I've kind of filled that gap. But that, right. um, you know, I, I did live in my wife and I lived in Kuwait um, for a couple of years, and everything in Kuwait is you you order your food in. There's thousands of restaurants that are available at any time of the day, and you know, I, I, I won't lie that that's not a bad thing at five thirty, and just be like, "Yeah, what do you think?" Just dial up, dial up some different food that you've never had before, and twenty minutes later, it's delivered to your door. Um, that doesn't exist here, right? <laughs> which yeah. is fine. Which is fine. The food much food is much better here than it was. There. I, I can imagine. What's the uh, what's the population of your town? <laughs> Technically, the village that my house lives in i think it's like 315 oh man full-time villagers yeah that is small yeah right next to right next to where i live about 500 meters up the road is some historically relevant i guess for the lack of a better word um thermal baths so they have they have um a property in them whatever the magnesium i don't really understand it but it's been in fact, that poster behind me is a historical poster that they had back when people would literally take the train from Paris all the way down to Cap Verne because of the, the healing properties of the thermal baths for things like rheumatoid arthritis and stuff like that. Um, do you partake in them or is that just something you do once as a tourist and then you can say, okay, I, I did no, that? No, I, I don't even know how you get in. I, from my understanding, it's like something that your doctor prescribes. It's a, oh, wow. Okay. It's, it's, not a, it's not a resort. Back, oh, okay. back, back in you know in the eighteen hundreds, people take the train down here. Of course, they're looking for entertainment and stuff like that. But the people that are here now are when you see them walking in the street and stuff. They're they're not in good shape. Right, right. Um, wow. Okay. So, um, 
you reached out to me about this new project you're doing. Yeah. So describe it, and because uh, this this caught my interest. So yeah. tell the people what it is. Yeah. So in fact, I think you and I have at least the same birthday. If not, we're the same age, right? I'm October 14th. Yes. But what are year? you as well? Yeah. 67. Ah, okay. So you beat me by a year. Um, I was born in <laughs> six. I was born in 68. So ah. you uh, you are living your 55th year. So last right. October. Last October, uh, you know, I'm here in France, and uh, I had my birthday, which came and went without much fanfare, which is fine. But my mom is big into, like, uh, rhymes around birthdays, right? And so I know that she would immediately think of Thrive at 55. So I I scribbled it down, and I was just kind of spent some time brainstorming because there's things that I would like, like, what does Thrive at 55 look like for me? And so I just kind of started scribbling out some things. And uh, I have, first of all, I, I, I got on the website before we had this. I cannot believe that you've been doing this for as long as you have. Kudos to that. <laughs> Me I, either. I had no idea. <laughs> but I, I have had a million ideas like this, but I've never, I'm not going to say never, but I've, I've pulled a couple of strings, but I only stuck with it for like three months and then it fizzled out, right? And I felt like I... I certainly have the time and the bandwidth here that I wanted to do something to be engaged with other people. And if it turns out to be something that monetizes itself, awesome. If not, that's fine. I just wanted Mm -hmm. to. And so I started thinking about turning 55. And I don't know if it's because my wife is a little older, so therefore she's closer to retirement. So that has started me thinking much more about retirement than I ever have in my life, ever. (laughs) Um, My dad work essentially until he couldn't physically work anymore. And so I I never knew my dad to be retired. Um, So I I don't really have much of a vision of that. And so I started scribbling these ideas down and I said, okay, I'm going to start a newsletter. I'll start a website, but then, you know, how to, how to get people to go to websites in 2023 doesn't really work that way anymore. And so a newsletter is a way that, has become quite popular. And so I, you know, bought the domain, built out the website, started writing a bunch of um, bunch of sample stuff and, you know, just got started and didn't, I think I got started technically in like February of this year. Yeah, February. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just once a week starting to write about various things. Here's the other thing that I found is that most of the retirement stuff that if you go to YouTube and you type in anything about retirement, they 99%, okay, probably not 99, 90% of it is just financial, just about Mm -hmm. dollars and cents and maximizing your IRAs and what to do to avoid tax traps and all. Yeah. But, but in reality, as I was, you know, a thinking about people that I know that have quality retirements but also in the reading and, and uh, the checking, the stuff that I've looked around, there's not a lot of people that are talking about all the other things, right? So you, you've got $3 million in the bank, you're 59 and you're ready to go to retire, but you have no hobbies, you're overweight, you, know, you, you don't really have a sense of self other than work, etc. And so that's, that's where I came at it from. That's where I've been kind of writing to hopefully get people thinking about it now because I still feel like I have time to make those changes at 65 
when it actually time to time to retire, you wake up and go, oh, like, what does this mean? Who am I? What am I going to do? You know? Well, well, you talk about work and uh, working till the end. I didn't. I don't know if we talked about this. I mean, do you do you have a, a day job? I mean, what is your what's your normal career? My well, I've been in education for. I don't know, probably 25 years. And um, the first time that I came to France in 2015, I thought, oh, I'll just, I'll just get a, a job online. No problem. This will be easy. <laughs> Not so much. Um, right. And I, I remember towards the end, before I, I ended up having to go back to the U.S. Uh, for a myriad of reasons, but um, I sent in my stuff for like a, just a customer service manager type stuff, right? So something that I certainly felt like I was overqualified for. And I got a message back saying, okay, you, you, you almost made the final round of 40 that we're <laughs> going to interview, but not quite. And I was like, oh gosh, this isn't, this is, I got to do something different. So this time when I came back, I got much more prepared and much more ready uh, because we transitioned from Kuwait to France, right? So mm-hmm. we went to work in Kuwait at an international school, two years of that. And I kind of got much more uh, prepared to be an instructional designer. So that is to be like making learning aids for companies or um, that kind of stuff. And when I got here, I saw a job online with an international school called Avenues the World School that has, that has some brick-and-mortar schools in New York and Sao Paulo, Brazil, and Shenzhen, China, but they have an online division, and they needed a learning... I can't remember what the title was, but effectively, I'm the director of technology for that online school. Okay. It's all um, 100% remote, kids from around the world. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a great, it's, a great, uh, it's a great job. It's a great school. Is your wife a French citizen? French citizen, teaches English in France. Okay. Yep. So, as an American and as a French person... Our retirement plans and our certainly our government retire plans, <laughs> retirement plans are, are quite different. So yes, do you look yes. at retirement um, a different way you know, than the, she does? Uh, yes, for sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, with Macron, the president of France, and his decision to push through the changes that he pushed through last year, I think more people might know this than before, but historically it was 62 in France. Um, as long as you had 40 trimesters, whatever, it doesn't matter. Just 62 was the age and retirement here is cherished and honored. Right. Whereas I think in the United States, some people cherish and honor it, but a lot of people just look to survive. <laughs> they look to survive, to get to the end. And, and what, an, another reason why I think that there's value in, writing about what I'm writing about is, like I said, with, te- with a 10-year window, if you start at 55, and if you are going to work until 65 or 67, then you really still can make some changes with your health, with your hobbies, with, with your finances, those kinds of things. Whereas here in France, there's very little job change. So you, you kind of pick a career and you're, you're in it. Like my wife has been in education since, since day one. And it's another thing that Macron is trying to change, but it doesn't matter. Um, and if you've been doing the same job for 38, 40 years, it's time to retire. <laughs> yeah. people, people here are, you know, so when he 
for a list of reasons, one of which being the system isn't going to be able to pay for itself if they don't make some changes because they their current workers are paying for their retirees yeah. as opposed to this, you know, historically, uh, depending on how you want to call it, you know, our system is a little bit older and is supposed to build on some historical savings, et cetera, et cetera. But I know that that's been mismanaged. Anyways, so France is now 64. Um, he pushed through the law, um, essentially the same as an executive order. And um, it's, it's so the article that I wrote this week was um, talking about checking on your Social Security income report. Mm-hmm. Because now people in France, uh, September 1st was when the system officially switched over. So now people can log in and get a sense of, oh gosh, how long do I have to work to get my full retirement? And guess what? They're finding there's errors in the report. Imagine that, a, a government uh, earning report. So in the, in the U.S., did you know that, yes, you can log in and check your Social Security report? You only have three years, three months from the time of an error to, to, to contact them and, and correct that error. So if you log in right now and you realize, holy cow, 10 years ago, they completely misreported my earnings from XYZ job, it's too late. You can't, oh, okay. make, you can't change that. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, right. So that's that's <laughs> some of the stuff that I'm trying to put in there. Um, and then I, I'm also, from a lifestyle standpoint, trying to make some connections between what life is in the U.S. and what I'm experiencing life is here. So there's a French connection part of the newsletter. I try and add some um, nostalgia, right? If anybody, you know, next week, Ricky Lake, Ricky Lake. Is that her name? No. Yeah. No. Who's the Who's the baker? Uh, the The Ricky. There's a There's a famous um, person that has a TV show and bakes and stuff. Doesn't matter. When people t- <laughs> that are famous, like like Will Smith, turns fifty five in three weeks, and so oh, I, I, wow. I call out. You know, the other day it was the fifty fifth anniversary of Hey Jude coming out. So yeah. anything that's coming up on fifty five years old, I. Try and call out in the newsletter as well. <laughs> um, I always imagine like uh, people in France or Italy, or especially in Southern Europe, uh, their retirement probably doesn't look too much different <laughs> than their lives they led for forty years, other than the fact that they just don't go to work in the morning. Uh, <laughs> yeah. For, yeah, you know, yeah. because they they don't live a this life of kind of, you know, they already have their country house or their place by the sea. And now they just get to spend more time at it. But as yeah. opposed to Americans, where that, I think the dramatic shift from working every day to all of a sudden not, it's like, okay, now we're going to move to a completely different part of the country. Now right. we're going to move to Florida and do you know, whatever it is. Right. Um, I, I, I did look that up. Um, and there's not a lot of statistics on it. But um, one statistic that I did find was like 70%. I think it was as high as 70% of French retirees are within, within 15 minutes uh, of where they were born. And that's, you know, because the other thing that is different about French society is their legacy or their um, inheritance system. And so, so a family farm, you know, gets passed down and many of these people have housing for free, which is one of the reasons why they don't 
necessarily need as large of incomes. Um, if you look at the average income in the in France compared to France, uh, compared, compared to the U.S., it is woefully mm-hmm. different. But it's because they 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 don't use a lot of debt. Their housing is generally you know an, an inheritance that was passed down to them, so they don't need you know one hundred fifty. But did they do that? Do that? Do that? Do that common exodus from the city? At least like the Parisians, they say, you know what? We finally retire. We're going to move permanently to the country house. Yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> I, I think we can both kind of. My my guess would be that they probably keep the keep the apartment though, uh, or or the the property in Paris, and they physically right. As leave. A pet-a-tear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As a place. Did to I go use that right? Petitair. I don't know that one. Yeah, come, really? No. A petitaire, the little little apartment in the city that you always, you know, you can go back to. Ah, no, that, that is not really. I'm explaining petitaire to a guy who lives in France. Y- you oh, are, you are. Okay, you <laughs> you're are. gonna look that up immediately as this is done. <laughs> um, well, this is so. It's right now. It's a newsletter that people can get online. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, you know, there is a website thrive at 55.com and there's a little link at the top right hand corner um i've you know i've built out swag there's t-shirts people can do (laughs) i I, i'm eventually going to write a like a pre-retirement playbook Mm -hmm. and my goal would be that you know like people could give that as a gift to somebody that's turning 55 because what do you give i mean what do you give somebody that turns 55 or 54 right we already have enough <laughs> yeah. ties. We don't have any need any more golf yeah, golf tees. Aspirin, maybe. Yeah, some, right, right. Uh, yeah, Aspirin. So yeah. a pre-retirement a knee brace. <laughs> exactly. Pre-retirement guide, a T-shirt or a mug, and then a subscription to the newsletter. Right. Great. Mm-hmm. Speaking of knees, uh, how does a skier like you? How did your knees hold up in this lifetime of skiing? Uh, my knees, thankfully, are are in great shape. Good for um, you. Last, so I, I switched. About five years ago, from lift service skiing primarily to backcountry skiing, so I, oh, so wow. I've got special equipment and I can hike up the mountain, switch my skis over, and then ski back down. Um, and that is huge here. It is, it is far more common. Uh, it's probably fifty fifty to be honest. Um, the amount of skiers that just because the other nice thing is the Pyrenees are um, pastoral, so nobody really owns them. You can go particularly in the winter, because, of course, there's no, there's no animals up there. So you can go any direction, anytime you want. Um, so so good old, in good old American feet elevation, how, many, how high are we talking, the Pyrenees? Um, the snow level usually starts around 1,600 meters, so that's times four is... Uh, <laughs> uh, Out of 8,000 feet, 70,000 yeah, feet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's call it six to 8,500 would be the zone so, that I, you know, right. generally play in. Um, so, so are we talking Colorado or more New England? That would be the foothills of Colorado. Right. Um, okay. You know, the first couple of layers, not because copper, copper in those places are like 13,500 feet at their peak. Yeah, that's, that's way up there. Yeah. So there's nothing like that here in the Pyrenees, but it's for me, it's perfect. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a spring chicken. I don't need to be, <laughs> I generally go out alone because uh, I don't know, Ooh, you know, I don't know a ton of people here. Um, last year I did group, did join a group where they have a WhatsApp group and they, you know, they're all retired, of course. They're uh, thriving. And, and they're called, they're called the VA Po. Po is skin. And that's what, that's what you put on the bottom of the skis to be able to climb up. 
and VA mm-hmm. is old, so that the, the English version of the group is the old skins. I um, like it. But I had a great time. I mean, I, I went twice with them, and they're all, you know, 60-plus, loving their life. Just go out, hike up, have a quick bite to eat up at the top, ski down, generally go have a beer or a drink after, and that's their day. This doesn't sound so bad. No, no, it is, it is quite nice. They are lovely people. I, I'm very much looking forward to this winter to go back some more. <laughs> so... In terms of, I mean, the biggest concern here, I know you don't give a, financial advice is only part of what your newsletter is, but you do touch mm-hmm. on it. But the biggest thing in America is, I mean, if you certainly retire before Medicare kicks in, which I think is about 65. 65. It's all, it's all about medical. Yep. So a lot of people hang on to their jobs simply for that. Yep. Uh, for insurance. And yep. of course, that's not a big concern in, in France and elsewhere in the world. So how do you, uh, I know that you can give advice for uh, France, but how do you recommend like Americans go about navigating that whole hmm. thing? I don't know. I mean, I can give you what I learned. We'll take it as a recommendation or not, but I did. Uh, so Obamacare, of course, brought in some changes in 2008. And one, right. of, the, one of the things that I've learned through research and watching a ton of videos and learning from other people that are already retired is in order to qualify for Obamacare, you have to show income, some type of income. And so people are forced to draw down on some, you know, they, they, they draw down on, on, on a retirement fund so that it shows some income so that they can then go buy healthcare from the, um, marketplace. Yeah. Um, but it is, you know, if, I'm going to guess that there are people that are doing well, have, have maybe worked their way up and they're our age and have dreams of, you know, let's, I only need to do this maybe two more years. And maybe they haven't looked at what you're talking about. Like, oh, wait a minute. If I were to leave this job or not do this full time anymore, I lose that, that important benefit. But it, that is a huge difference because as, 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 as you pointed out here in France, it's just they they don't think about healthcare much at all. <laughs> right. Just, well, if I've just I've talked to if I talk to them, I've talked to many expats, you know, around over the years on this show, and I've met so many of them around the world. But most of them that are our age, uh, medical reasons was one of the ones the main reason they left yeah, the yeah. U.S. And some of them are planning to go back once they can qualify for Medicare. But yep. some of them, it's just like, hey, man, I sold my business. I was 58. Um, I couldn't get another job. You know, so it's just like I could either, you know, stay in the U.S. and pay outrageous out-of-pocket right. for, for health care. And even still, I could get sick and it may not even cover it. I could still get wiped out financially just for the costs. Yep. So that's, they just took a place in Panama or Costa Rica or... Portugal, you know, or, Thailand, or whatever. Portugal. Well, now Portugal's hot. Portugal's, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So when you look at like Portugal, and then you're nearby, you're not too far in France. There, you know, you just got to skip over Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, is the reason that, from what I've heard, and I was just in Portugal last year, the reason why a lot of expats don't go to France is a the costs are a little higher, and b just the bureaucracy and red tape of just being of living there makes it prohibitive. Is that the case? Yes. 
Yes, you have to. So, so a couple couple of things that I've learned. Um, no matter where you make your income, right? I work for a U.S. based company. I'm a 1099 because I can't I can't be a full time employee because I'm not a, living in the U.S. So I'm 1099 in in, in the U.S. That income, of course, is going to come to France, and so France taxes it as if I'm here in France. Oh, so and you, then, then you also pay U.S. taxes. No, well, as a as an expat, you've, there's a very large chunk that you can um, you're exempted from. So there's a double taxation treaty. So thankfully, there's no, but but I lose out on. But the other thing that I have to pay here is all of the Social Security, right? So I'm paying for my health. I'm paying for my retirement, even though I'm starting pretty late and. You know, I probably won't get much benefit out of it. There's no, there's no, there's no other option. Um, so if you are already retired and you choose to move here, uh, the 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 healthcare expenses are quite high because they're going to expect you to pay, pay your, um, pay your fair share. Right. So okay. And so and Portugal doesn't do that. You know, from a retirement standpoint, I don't know. Um, okay. I, I know from an expat standpoint, they ha- they have a like they have a, as many countries do, an expat passport, right? A spe- specific regime where they're going to have lower taxes, they're going to have a lower visa requirement, et cetera, if you can prove that you have $1,500 a month in income. Right. Um, France, France doesn't care about that. <laughs> um, and I think one of the reasons, you know, as you said, Portugal is hot now. It wasn't that way, you know, 15 years ago, right? No, and so they've not been at all. Trying to it wasn't replace, even on my radar right, back then. Right. So France doesn't need that. That's, you know, things you, you mentioned, Panama, Costa Rica, there's plenty of places around the world that are like welcoming expats. France has too many people. Um, yeah. they, have, they have too many people that want to live here and the system just can't support all of them. So that's why it's a little bit less. Um, and yet I'm on several expat French groups on Facebook and literally every day there are three to five people that say, okay, we've made the decision, we're moving to France. Now, some of them have a three, a five, and a seven-year-old. They're not, they're not retiring at all. Ooh. They're, they're oh, okay. moving. They, are, they want to leave the United States for the myriad of reasons that it's, it makes sense to leave the United States. Right. And they, they just want to, you know, they visited here, they made the decision, and uh, then there's plenty of people that say, okay, yep, we're coming, we're, we sold everything, we're retiring to France, and we're trying to decide which region. Every day, there's two or three people that say that. So it's it's uh, it's quite interesting um, to kind of peek into that world and and just try and picture like what is that what does that look like, right? Even if you even if you're confident with French, you know your your YMCA club, your golf club, your all of the <laughs> things that you have to as a social network. If you're thinking about retirement, if you come here, uh, it's going to be tough to tough to break in very tough what, to break in well i talked about this uh, you know and this always fascinates me and i want to know your take on it of the expats you've met and you've seen come over some of them it just doesn't work out and they go back sure what do you find is the number one reason is it is it that is it the language problems or is it a cultural or money issue or did they just did not do their homework yeah, I, I, before they came here i think it's i think it's i think the homework part you know, is key. And I'm noticing more and more people saying, okay, this is our third trip over. We've, we've been to the Northwest, we've been to the Southeast and now we're going to go. Right. So those people are, that's good. 
the folks that come here for three weeks, fall in love with it, go home and decide, okay, this is it. France is for us. And they don't understand, you know, the stores close early or, you know, the, the, there's a lot of, there's a lot of peculiarities about living here <laughs> that I think some of the people that I've met in the United States would find very shocking and very hard to acclimate to. Others that are a little bit more freewheeling and can kind of go with the flow because there's a lot of bureaucracy, like you said. I'll give you an example. My wife is French. When she moved, she, she immigrated to the U.S. with me in 2017. We tried Massachusetts for two years. She had to exchange her license, right? So she gave up. Now, her license, she was... Her early, driver's license. She was early 50s at the time. She still had her original paper trifold driver's <laughs> license. And so imagine having to give that up in exchange in Massachusetts. And they said, oh, no, 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 you'll get it back. We, we ship them there. Yeah, right. So right. She, she ended up going to Kuwait, didn't get a license because of COVID, whatever. Comes back here. It took her 16 months, 16 months to, to register and, and get a driver's license as a French citizen. In France? In France. Because yeah. she didn't have her original. No, 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 no. That's just, that's how long that's it takes. That's the way it is. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. There are, there are people that run entire Facebook groups just on the driver's license program for immigrants in, oh. or, or the process. How about the banking? Because I always hear about expats. They got to get a local bank account. You do have to get a local and bank account. Kind of um, is that an easy process or is that not? Well, it's, depending on who you talk to and depending on the situation, are you going to try and buy a house or you just want to come here and you know, right. kind of get started? That will differ because there's WISE and Revolt, which are two kind of multinational that mm -hmm. can work for certain. Like I said, if, if you're not trying to buy a house, if you want to buy a house, then you need a bank account here. And if you want to get a bank account here, you need an address. Um, and how do you get an address without a place to stay? Uh, so it's, it's not easy, for sure. Well, do you get a, a little step up that you're at least married to a French citizen? Oh, yeah. Did so, that, yeah there are do you have dual nationality now? Do you have two passports? <laughs> oh, gosh, no. I, uh, <laughs> okay, I have no idea how long we're going to do this, so I'll tell you my story <laughs> from last year. A year ago today, I was back in the United States. Because when we immigrated from Kuwait to France, nobody told me that within the first two months I needed to register with this Office of French Immigration and Integration. I didn't know that. So I knew that my visa was good for a year. So two months before that was over, I went to renew my visa. And they said, and I looked at the list and there's, oh yeah, driver's license, blah, blah, blah. And it said, uh, visit to OFI, O-F-I-I. -I. I was like, what the hell is that? And it turns out, that because I missed that, that's not something that you could do very quickly. Um, my visa expired, and my only my only recourse was to go back to the United States and start over. Oh, by the way, in order for my French visa to go into my passport, I needed two clean pages of my passport. Well, my passport was nine years old, and I've been oh, I've no. flying internationally like twenty seven times in the last seven years. So first I had to renew my passport, then I had to get a French visa, and I was in the U.S. for 28 days. Ugh, okay. So I am now in the process. I have, I'm coming up at the end of September is the end of my, my current visa, and I've started the process, and you know, I, now, it's, of course, it's switched. In just one year, all of that other stuff is gone. Now it's all online. 
And so I uploaded all the stuff and they've come back to me three or four times saying, okay, well, this picture's not clear enough and that bill's too old, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) So yeah, the visa process, I do not get a, a, a benefit for being married to a French citizen. Lots of other things, cell phone, bank accounts, and yes, it okay. helps. Well, how does it work for your wife when she goes to America? No, is she like got a basically green card status? Is we did. We, she did. She ended up, I mean, she's been gone too long now, and so that's expired and that's gone. But she went through that whole process, immigrated right. to the U.S., got a green card. We stayed for two years. Then we went to Kuwait. So if you ever had to come back, let's say for you know, whatever reason, you had yep. to come back to the U.S., what would you miss about uh, France? And uh, why don't we start with the food? Yes, <laughs> what the cheese. Have you been ruined? The oh, cheese. the cheese. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering if, you, if it's ruined your palate now. The cheese. For this, just this morning, so, so mushroom season has started. Uh, foraging wild mushrooms, um, by the way. I, I sent a picture of, of some mushrooms to an old high school friend of mine, and she's like, what, you do shrooms now? And I was like, no, those are, those are bolets. Those are, uh, right. So mushroom season has just started, and I have become, I, I can go out by myself in the, in the forest and find mushrooms that aren't going to kill you. Uh, and I did that for this morning for two hours in the woods with, with zero bugs. Wow. So being from north the northeast, I know bugs are not as big of a deal for you in Southern California, but you've been to Maine yeah. and you know oh, what yeah. that, you know, know what that means. So the cheese, the outdoors, the simplicity of life, um, the friendliness of the people. Uh, driving is quite simple here. Everybody's you know w- once every hundred days, I might run into somebody that's a little bit of a jerk, but other than that. It's all round points. There's very little, tra- you know, very little p- times where people are jockeying for positions and stuff like that. Um, those are, those would be some things that I would I would miss. Right. Uh, have you caught any wine bug yet, or are you? Uh... I I mean I enjoy wine. I I've I've tried. You know we we, <laughs> we know we know some people that are you know wine connoisseurs so to speak, and they actually brought us to Bordeaux uh, to this little vineyard where. They know the, it's a very, very small family operation. And the deal is you go there, you work for the afternoon, and you bottle your own wine. So you basically do in like three hours worth of work. And you get to buy it at like four euros 50 a bottle. Okay. Then they put on, they put meat on the grill, they do up some fries, and then it's your responsibility to bring everything else. And they put together this big spread. And of course, the owner brings out all of these old bottles that he, you know, has left over. We had a great time. That was super fun. Um, but I just, I mean, from time to time, I'll taste one and be like, wow, this is nice. I like this. <laughs> I don't know what it means. I don't know if it's fruity or earthy or oh, yeah. what kind of grapes and all that kind of stuff. I, you know, for the most part, yeah. we have several cases from that vineyard that we went to last year and... That's our table wine, and I'm good with that. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Yeah. So now you can play the our French tour guide here. Everybody knows when they visit, okay, we know Paris, we know the south of France, and all that other stuff. Give us some love to some other regions that you think deserves it that maybe people don't know. Yeah. So I, I've not physically been to many parts, but uh, this year we took a train trip to uh, Nîmes, N-I-M-E-S. 
And mm-hmm. Meme is well known because they have the best preserved Roman Colosseum because Neme was a major uh, Roman outpost along the Mediterranean, and their Colosseum was built in 70 BC. Wow. And it is still very much very beautiful, um, and they host a, um, a reenactment of you know Romans and the Julius Caesar and all that kind of stuff. So we went there. There's a bunch of other infrastructure in Neem that are that is, you know, back from the Roman age that just blows your mind how how well built it was and how well preserved it still is. It was it was fantastic. Um did a road trip, had some friends from the US came this past summer, uh and we did a road trip to um Carcassonne. We went to Carcassonne for uh Bastille Day. Carcassonne oh, okay. is a 14th century big medieval city that's super well preserved again up on a hill. About half a million people go there every year for Bastille Day just for the fireworks because it was it was quite something. It was I, I generally speaking fireworks are whatever, but this was like 25 minutes of holy cow. <laughs> yeah. Um and then we went to a couple other smaller villages um one called Mirepoix which is again this kind of cool central square that if you if if I just dropped you there with a blindfold and you open your eyes you'd be like oh okay you know 13th century mm-hmm. um just you know stuff like that so there's a lot of little stuff like that in this, that we've looked at I, I I've never we've driven through Bordeaux I've never been I've never been to Lyon Plenty of places that I haven't been to yet. Um, oh, you just mentioned the last two places I went in France. Oh, okay. So actually, well, I caught a ship in Bordeaux back in uh, geez, 2016, maybe, um, which is great. And uh, I had took a train to Lyon to go to Annecy. And if you've never been to Annecy, no. it's over in, it's on the East Coast, uh, on, near the border of Switzerland. Yeah. So yeah. it's not too far from Geneva. Um, but you're a mountain guy. You would love it there. I know. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. Know. And talk about cheese. Oh, brother. It's really good. Yeah. Really good. So I recommend, honestly, for you. I, I uh, learned you, a lot. I learned a lot about France by... We, I watched the Tour de France um, okay. every, every day, <laughs> every year. And uh, when you are here and you get to watch the whole thing as opposed to the 30-minute you know, review that most Americans get... They right. they literally hover with the helicopter and they show you all the churches and all the cathedrals and all the so it's it's it's, it's a actually, great travel log it, yeah 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 it, it's I mean it's five hours of cycling but um, you get to see right. the whole country well not to be a bummer but uh, I know we're dealing here we're always seeing effects of like uh, you know the climate is changing and things like that and yeah. more droughts in, in parts of the same more storms in other parts. Um, I know the ski resorts yeah. are really going through a, a thing in you know with a really bad years. Not only in Colorado but out west here, like in Tahoe and things like that. Yep. Um, I know I've read that the Alps are really dealing with this. Last far year, less no last file. year was horrible, horrible. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Tons of videos of people in in France and Austria and stuff. You know, skiing down to their chalet on grass. Um, same, same, similar thing here, and it's even worse because we're at such low elevation. There's one kind of small, um, let's call it, not a mom and pop ski area, but just a local ski area. Five lifts, not a lot of, 
not a lot of infrastructure, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And they, they didn't open at all for Christmas last year because they don't have the snowmaking infrastructure. So they missed that whole season. And when you only have three and a half months of winter total and you miss Christmas, that's, uh, yeah. that's, a, tough, that's a tough thing to make up for. So is, the, is there talk of some of these resorts and things shutting down or have they already started? like uh, going out of business? Yeah, so, so most, of, other than this, this particular one, they don't need a lot, right? I think there might even be volunteers that run the lift sometimes on the weekends, so they don't, right. they don't need a lot of money to stay open. Some, all the others that are in my region collective kind of came together and created a collective. Um, and so now they, you know, they share marketing, they share everything. And I think they're also very, very much a 12-month resort, right? The hiking... The, the sightseeing, the, the Tour de France, the, all of that kind of stuff, it's their total season as opposed to it's just four months of skiing. Mm-hmm. Skiing is not very expensive here either, so they don't get the same ticket revenue that, uh, you know, something, oh, someone like Vail or Copper or Niels. Yeah, yeah. I think we looked up uh, like a daytime ticket in Mammoth, uh, like a one-day pass over the last <laughs> season. Crazy. And it was like, I think it was over $200. Yeah. It, it was insane. And you can come for here one day. for a family of four. You can come here and skate four days for 200, 200 euros. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. How was it? Uh, have you done much skiing in the Alps? I, I went to the Alps when I was at CVA as a student back in high school. I went mm-hmm. to a summer. Well, it was fall. It was September. We skied up on the glacier. So that's my only... That's my only time in the Alps. Um, really? But France is, you know, I tell people, France is bigger than you think it is. Like most people think it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's a sizable country, not compared to the U.S., but I mean, it's not a small country. But if you, uh, driving from your place, how long would it take you to get up to north and driving to the mountain? <clears throat> I, would be, I would bet it would be 600 kilometers, so it would be five, six hours. To, to get okay. to the edge of the Alps, right? There's the Southern mm-hmm. Alps. If I went from here to Marseille and then started to go north from there, I would bump into the Alps. If you want to get into Chamonix and Tien and stuff like that, it would probably be more like seven or eight hours of driving. Okay. So uh, how about taking a train from where you are to Paris? How long would that take? We did that. Um, when my wife immigrated to the U.S., there's one doctor in France. <laughs> oh, no. And it's in Paris. And of course, the U.S. Embassy is in Paris, and so yeah. and her appointment for her health was a week earlier than her appointment with the embassy, and we were in no position to stay in Paris for the week. So we trained up overnight on the TGV, uh, so the the speed train, um, which mm-hmm. was my first time. That is that is quite an experience. Um, yeah, that was that was a, took me a while to get used to, and I'm not totally sure I ever did get used to it, but. Uh, two and a half hours, I think it took us total. Um, well, that's not bad. It's it's eight hundred and fifty kilometers. So, and then came home the next day, and then the next week we did the exact same trip. Went to the embassy, got her visa, and came back. So, what did you like about what didn't you like about the high speed train? Um, my perception once I once I stopped trying to like compute in my head how fast we were going. Like I was, I was, and then, and then when another train comes the other way and there's that vacuumy, oof, yeah. that feeling that, that I did not like. And then standing in the, standing in the snack car, you know, with a, a 
whatever I I don't know if I had a beer or whatever, whatever I was trying to drink and just trying to, again, looking out the window and my brain, like just processing how fa- I had to stop doing that. I had to kind of look, yeah. you know, look a different direction. But it's it, every time I take one of those anywhere around the world, it's just like you just get bummed that we don't have them. Oh, yeah. You know, it's oh, like yeah. there's no reason I can't get from Boston to New York in, you know, two hours oh, on this thing. On, on you the, know, it, the East Coast. Ridiculous. Yeah. The East Coast. I mean, we, my family took a train to Washington back when I was a kid, you know, and that was like 10 hours. 10 yeah. hours. And then I did train uh, when I lived in Colorado. We trained from Denver to Boston. Um, Ooh, wow. that was, that was tough because, yeah. uh, Denver to Chicago is not bad because it's newer trains, right? The, the bridges aren't so small. And so you've got the big double decker and there's light and you can move around. But when you go from Chicago to Boston, small old trains, you just see in the backside of Cleveland and all, Oh man, yeah, oh, that, yeah. was, <laughs> that was ugly. The train smelled. It was oh, horrible. Uh-huh. Horrible. I know. This is why Japan, the Japanese come here and think we live in the third world. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's unbelievable. Um, well, how, I mean, is your plan there? I mean, well, we'll talk about retirement. Let's talk about your retirement as mm-hmm. we wind this down. Is, is that something that you even consider now at this point? Or, I mean, you talk about it all the time. It must be in your mind. Of, do you have a timeline or, or are you just kind of playing it by ear? Yeah. I think, uh, due to the nature of the work that I have, if this were to continue, of course, who knows what happens in ten years? Um, it's not. It's not terribly. You know. I mean, it's yeah. it's all here. You're not right? working in a coal mine, <laughs> right? Exactly. I I, I don't right. I don't have a lot of direct work with kids, et cetera, et cetera. So I I don't know. My wife is much closer, and when she retires, you know, could we? We could very easily go to Portugal, like you said, and I could work remotely from Portugal for two months. And so we could kind of enjoy what some people have in their mind around retirement, and yet I could still be working. I don't know. You'd be a digital nomad. Yeah, 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 yeah. As long as you don't overstay your visa. That's the that's the beautiful thing. It took me a little while to to realize that, right, if I go to Toulouse in, in two hours... I can go from, you know, Norway is two hours and yeah. and the south of Spain is two hours. And I don't know what two hours east would be. Probably the other side of Italy, Croatia, maybe. I don't know. Anyways, a lot of very cool sure. stuff in a two-hour flight. Um, and it's, this is why I envy Europeans in this travel aspect. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. Just like, that part. And you've, that's great. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I I, I, I am reading about it and learning about it, and most much of what I'm looking, thinking of through is through the U.S. you know lens because that's the people that are reading the newsletter. They don't mm-hmm. they don't necessarily care or you know want to but get bogged down into French retirement, et cetera. Um, I don't know. I, I a thought of mine also is to is to possibly branch this out and become like a retirement coach because that's a right. that's a fairly fairly. Uh, popular thing nowadays uh, from what i understand people are you know again uh, you can go and sit with a financial advisor all you want and they are going to be super focused on how to maximize your retirement and and the wife looks at the husband and says you know but when are we going to travel and and they try and get into a conversation around that and the financial advisor is like 
I can tell you how much it's going to cost to travel um, <laughs> or whether or not you should be doing it two or five times a year. But how much you should travel and where you should go and how much, you know, what do you want to get out of it? Maybe that that might be an offshoot of this uh, this little project. Yeah. And I mean, from what I've read on uh, retirement and what I've seen, uh, we strip away the financial stuff. I mean, you could have no money and enjoy life as you get older. But what they find is, and maybe you've backed this up or not, that the people who, are, who do it the best and age the best are the ones that have uh, a purpose yep. and uh, a positive mental attitude. And relationships tend to be the most important, you know, whether it's family relationships, friends, a group of friends, a support group. Yep. Um, but that's key, really. Yeah, that's it? that is in line with what I have been reading about and understanding. Yes, I I agree. Um, right, but you know, I and know some people get it through their religion. Some people get it, you mm-hmm. know, or or whatever it is, their social groups, and and unfortunately, some people that work, it was all wrapped up in work. Right, so not it, just their identity, but their social aspect too. And they, you strip it all that away, and that's hard for a lot of people. Right. And 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 if you if you peel back to fifty five, the amount of people that I know, just in my small circle of life, who have started their families a little bit later, and they their children are just now leaving home, so similar deal, right? Uh, my whole life was PTO sports, shuttling right. kids, and now they're off to college. So the whole empty nest, empty piece, nesters, yeah, that's yeah. another that's another kind of pre retirement. It's almost a it's almost like a retirement practice to figure out okay. If I'm not a mom, I know you never stop being a mom, but if you're not going to be the PTO and going to the games and stuff like that, who am I? Do I need to well, stay kids. in this town? Do we, do we need this big house? Those are, that's the stuff that I've been you know, kind of writing about. And yeah, and also, you know, sadly, that's when a lot of uh, divorces mm-hmm. happen too. It's like children were the ultimate busy work mm-hmm. that kept them focused and they had a common goal. We've got to raise these kids. And now they've all left the roost and we're like, well, our work's kind of done, I guess. <laughs> and then they just look at each other, you know, silently across the breakfast table and going, yeah. boy, this is, uh, maybe we don't have as much in common as we thought anymore. Sad, um, but, sad but true. Yes. Yeah. But, I mean, people grow also. I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe that's not always a bad thing that, you know, we're, we're done with this chapter and you move on. Yeah. Yeah. That's but, the- uh yeah, I, I don't think it, like retirement's going to look like it looked like for our parents or grandparents. No, or, no, I, yeah. that I definitely agree with. Um, Especially with the lack of uh, safety nets, like pensions and things like that. And, yep, and stuff like that. From like that'd be interesting. We're going to be side hustling through our <laughs> through our old age. Exactly. <laughs> um, give us the uh, website and everything else, and where can people follow you on uh, social media and things like that. Yeah, so I, everything is all one word, thrive at 55.com. Technically, it's thrive. No, the number 55? No, no, it's all spelled out, thrive at okay. 55.com. Okay. And then, and then I actually, the tagline is thrive at 55 and beyond. Because I don't, okay. you know, I, I, the, the idea is that <laughs> we're, we're just not going to live this one year and be like, cool, this is good, this is good. That, um, I do have, I mean, I put some stuff on Instagram. I've got... My Twitter is uh, 
Thrive underscore 55 because somebody does have a Thrive at 55. They've been having it okay. since 2011, but they never tweet. Yeah. It's a dead account. Um, but the you website. Mean X? Yeah, right. X. Um, <laughs> technically, the, the newsletter is at Substack, so it's thrive at 55.substack.com. But easiest way is to go to the website and just click newsletter in the top right hand corner. That's great. Okay. Um, and we'll have links to all this at. Uh, at TravelTalesPodcast.com. Awesome. Um, and finally, Eric, what do you think of um, what you've learned having this perspective on two sides of the Atlantic and, and having been around in places like Kuwait and, and seeing how a lot of the world lives? Mm. How has it uh, changed your opinion on people? How has, it, how has it changed you? What have you learned? Wow. Yeah, my experience in in Kuwait was jaded because we were there for COVID. So that I learned in that experience, what it, for the first time in my life, um, being someone that is a minority and being a minority in a global crisis, far from home with very little, very little power to say what I can and cannot do or when I can even get out of the country. That was a very humbling uh, eye-opener. Same here, to a certain extent. I don't feel like I have a lot of power. Like, I can't vote. I can't... I don't really... I mean, I understand French pretty well. I can watch the news. I can listen to conversations. I don't have a, a strong enough vocabulary yet to kind of speak my mind or to really get into an in-depth conversation. And sometimes that feels restrictive for lack of a better word or just like okay then who am i um right you know if i'm not a democrat or if i'm not uh so you know and then when you throw into that I, i've never met the people that i work with never met them I'm, I'm i'm going into year three and there's a really good chance that i could never meet them physically ever that's crazy huh Isn't yeah wild yeah yeah that's that is that is a very very bizarre part of <laughs> 21st century realities that some of us are living. Mm -hmm. But have you changed as a person from that person you were before, like the guy skiing in Colorado? I mean, no, I don't think I've changed as a person. I still think I'm, you know, patient and kind and, um, enjoy the small things in life. Um, probably even more now, right. Uh, in the springtime, here in this little house, I mean, it's not a little house. We have a pretty big house actually for the two of us, but um, we've got a porch. And when I get up in the morning, I open up the windows and just listen to the birds, um, mainly because I miss that in Kuwait and in Massachusetts. Um, you know, just trying to just trying to enjoy every day. Uh, that part hasn't changed for sure. Simple pleasures. Yes, a main country boy through and through. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> how's your How's your mom doing? Mom's doing very well. She now lives. Yeah, she now lives with her sister. Um, moved on from the camp. You probably know that. Yeah. And, the, oh, I miss the lake. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was that was a blessing, though. Um, yeah. It was it was very difficult to go through, and I miss it for sure. But it was it was a blessing for everybody involved. But she's doing well. Good. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, hopefully, I get to see you. Maybe we'll meet halfway in uh, Brooklyn. Ah, we could do that. Sweet or if you ever, if you have, certainly if you ever swing through this part of the world, we'd love to have you. Absolutely. We'll go to a rugby match. 
could go. I still haven't seen match. one live. Have you? You've been to Bilbao, I'm sh- I'm sure. Uh, I have not. Ah, okay. There's my there's my there's my tip for you. My my closing yeah, so tip for to... Travel Tales podcast. Okay, is Bilbao. Bilbao, Bilbao is definitely worth a visit. Yes, was... I want to do there in uh, San Sebastian, the mm-hmm. uh, Basque country there. Yep. Talk about food and cheese. Woo, brother. Yes, there yes, we go. Yes, and plenty <laughs> of other things, but funky language, but... Yeah, yeah. All right, Eric. Well, I appreciate you doing this, and thanks for no, uh, very much. You know, dealing with the uh, satellite things and you know all the technical stuff it took to do this. But hey, perfect. Uh, the miracle of modern science. Absolutely. It's called Thrive at 55, and you can get the link on our uh, site at TravelTalesPodcast.com. And the man is Eric Chamberlain. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you very much, Mike. Be well. Be well.